Good morning and greetings to each of you. Just a quick thought in relation to the Sunday school lesson. I appreciated the lesson. A good uh, reminder for us to pray. Just a few days ago, well, I'm saying this in relation to the thought in the lesson that when Peter appeared in the middle of the night at where the church was praying, they were surprised. And uh, about three days ago, I was talking to a brother, brother in the church, and uh, he has a neighbor who has severe uh, health problem, and he prayed that if the Lord would want him to uh, shoot a deer to share with his neighbor, that the Lord would bring him a deer. And the, now this man has hunted deer for many, many years and shot a lot of them. The biggest deer he ever shot came into his backyard and he shot it out the kitchen window. And he said, I'd prayed. He said, why was I surprised that the Lord answered? Why are we surprised when God answers prayer? Shouldn't we trust him and not be so surprised? And I think those people, the church there in Peter's day, was human just like me and like you. But may that be a lesson for us. Um, God doesn't always answer in marvelous ways, but God does answer. And let's not be surprised. At least not too awfully shocked. <clears throat> This morning I would like to, to tell you a couple stories. Stories of two boys. And uh, you know these stories. Uh, I'm not going to necessarily mention the names right to begin with and you don't need to try to focus on figuring out who I'm telling about. These are stories from the Bible, but I want you to focus on the content of the stories, what, we're what the stories are really telling us. So there was this lad of 17 years old. He was the next to the youngest of 12 boys in the family. There were problems in the family. This boy was spoiled by his father. His parents showed partiality. His brothers hated him. One day his brothers grabbed him and were very mean to him and sold him to slave traders. Found himself in a foreign country with nothing but the clothes on his back. 
He was a servant. He was a slave. He was lied about. He spent several years in prison. He didn't see his parents or family for years. The other boy, young man, he had lots going for him. His family, we don't know for sure, but family was likely wealthy. He had all that he wanted. He requested his inheritance even before his father's death, and his father gave it to him. He went out on his own. He had lots of money, free to do whatever he wished. Both boys were away from home. One was a slave. The other was free. One did what he was told. The other did what he wanted to do. One had nothing. The other had riches. One was lied about and spent years in prison. The other one had a hilarious time with his friends. First boy was an underdog. He was disadvantaged. He had a rough life. Not much, much chance of having fun or getting ahead, getting anywhere in life. Poor fella. Second boy had it all. All that one could wish for. But down under the surface, there was another difference. It was a difference that made all the difference. And in, and I'm not an artist, but if we had a drawing board up here, and if I could uh, draw, uh, so we don't. So in your mind's eye, think of these two boys standing this deep in water and the winds and the waves are coming and, and threatening to go over their heads and but down underneath the surface where you can't see there's a big difference one of them is tied tight to a huge boulder or a, an anchor or whatever and he can't move. The other one is tied to himself. In fact, he's just all tied up and bound to himself. And that's what makes the difference. The first boy... The underdog, the disadvantaged, was securely, firmly anchored, attached, fixed in God. Nothing could detach him. His mean brothers, the slavery in Egypt, being lied about, being thrown into prison, all of that couldn't detach him from his God. 
he was firmly anchored. <clears throat> he was determined to live a righteous life, to let God direct it. The second boy was attached to himself. Money and pleasure were his gods. He was determined to take his own way and to do what he wanted to do. A few years went by, and the whole scene changes. The first boy, rough life, servant, imprisoned, is now sitting in the next to the highest seat in the nation. He's known for his wisdom. His hateful brothers now respect him and honor him. And he continues that close relationship with God. The second boy, rich, friends, free to do whatever he wanted, is now a servant in the lowest social class, penniless and hungry. One went from the bottom to the top. The other went from the top to the bottom. What's the difference? One chose God and his way. The other chose self and his own way. One latched on to God and wouldn't let go. The other chased after possessions and fun and was bound to himself and his own selfish desires. And millions of people for 3,700 years have admired Joseph and for 2,000 years they have scorned the prodigal son. Many would say that Joseph is one of their favorite Bible characters and the prodigal son has become a byword. Joseph, besides clinging to God in the face of terrible circumstances, was humble not calling attention to himself. He gave the situations into God's hands and allowed God to plan his life and what happened to him. He willingly forgave his brothers. He focused on the fact that God planned his life and the circumstances, the situations of life. His Lord was first the central focus, the tangible daily life was secondary. The prodigal son no doubt thought that money, friends, and pleasure would make him happy. That would be the good life, you know. But those things failed to deliver his expectations. They failed to deliver his expectations. And you know what? They always do. They always, those things always fail to deliver. <clears throat> oh yes, it might be fun for a little while, but it's not too long until it's 
boredom. It's not too long until it's not so fun anymore, and then they have to have more and more and more and more and more of the wrong things, and they don't satisfy. They don't bring deep, real satisfaction. Pleasure will not satisfy. Proverbs 21, 17 says, He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. And there's various other proverbs and scriptures that we could look at. Riches will not satisfy. Proverbs 23, 5, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. There's so, let me say it another way. It is so easy for most all of us to feel like we have to have some riches. We have to have a little more. We just have to have, you know. And we do, in a way. But pleasure and riches do not satisfy. Neither do they endure. Neither do they last. But taking God's way gives peace and it lasts. And I realize this is a little different, in a little different context perhaps. But the Bible says thy kingdom, talking about God's kingdom, thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Thy dominion endure throughout all generations. And if we're a part of God's kingdom, if if our focus is on pleasing him, walking with him, and knowing him, and loving him, serving him faithfully with all of our might, that's lasting. Pleasure and riches are not lasting. One may have everything that the heart craves, naturally speaking, but all that this world offers will never satisfy the deep longings of the heart. I'd like to read a little clipping that I got somewhere some years back, a number of years ago. A little child bereft of mother's love is cared for tenderly by neighbor's kind. Brought toys, bright toys they bring to please the orphaned one and quiet for a while the restless mind. The baby laughs and plays with blocks and ball till in a quiet moment, Pleasures fail. The little eyes grow wide with memory. I want my mama, comes the plaintive wail. Oh, see the kitty. Here's a cookie, dear. Come, let us go and get the pretty flower. With hasty promises and choicest care, the child is occupied another hour. But when at last the day draws to its close and shadows chase the lingering beams of light, Nothing will do. There sounds the piteous cry, I want my mama, far into the night. 
So is the soul child wandering from God. A while the things of earth will satisfy. He grasps at fleeting pleasures for a time to soothe the restlessness that will not die. And Satan dangles toys of wealth or fame to woo from heaven and bind him to the sod. But in a hush, perhaps at midnight dark, the soul child cries its longing. I want God. Here is a farm, a business, play with that. Let friends or honor fill the heart today. Fill the heart today. Forgetfulness will come with wine and mirth and push the thought of heaven far away. But as life's sun goes down and darkness comes and unknown shadows lurk upon the road, the soul insistent cries and will not hush, for nothing else can satisfy but God. So we tend to become so occupied with money and pleasure and anything else that naturally the heart desires and we run after and we try to find, but it's not answering the soul cry for God. All of these things will fail to deliver the expectations. We can try to walk life's way ourselves, but it won't work. It's only in God that we will find rest and peace. It's only in living in Christ, like the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament various times, and a close walk with him that the soul finds what it really longs for. But there are too many who try both. Oh, yes, yes, I'm, yeah, I'm living a Christian life, but I want these other things too. And the Bible speaks to those people. It speaks to all of us. Because that's a temptation for all of us. It says no man can serve two masters. Either we will love the one and hate the other, Serve one or the other, and not both. It doesn't work. And so we could, we could ask ourselves this morning, which am I really serving? Which am I truly loving? You may try to satisfy the longings of your heart by trying to please everyone. There are various ways that people try to do that. And so there are those that, you know, they try to please this person. They try to please this person. They try to please, you know, their best friend. They try to please their parents. They try to please employer. They try to... <clears throat> or there are those that um, try to satisfy the longings of their heart by putting on a beautiful outside you know, a pleasing appearance, dressing well, a winning personality, etc., etc. Or, like we've been talking about, by working hard and, and, and making um, 
you know, a good living and becoming rich. Of course, nobody becomes rich if you ask them. They're not rich. They just, the rich man is the one that has a little more than me. Or perhaps by studying hard and becoming educated and smart where I can out-talk the next person and whatever he says, oh yeah, I already knew that and, and a whole lot more. Or by many, many other things. But like I said before a couple of times, these things always fail to deliver your expectations. They always fail. It's only in God will we find the true answer. I have another little clipping that I'd like to read. In 1923, a group of the world's most successful financiers met at a hotel in Chicago. Collectively, these tycoons controlled more wealth than there was in the United States Treasury. And for years, newspapers and magazines printed their success stories and urged young people to follow their examples. Here's the rest of the story. Number one, Charles Schwab, president of the largest independent steel company, lived on borrowed money the last five years of his life and died penniless. Number two, Richard Whitney, president of the New York Stock Exchange, served time in prison before he died. Number three, Albert Albert Fall, member of the president's cabinet, was pardoned from prison so he could die at home. Number four, Jesse Liverworth, Livermore, I'm sorry, Jesse Livermore, the greatest bear on Wall Street, committed suicide. Leon Fraser, president of the Bank of International Settlement, committed suicide. Ivan Kruger, head of the world's greatest monopoly, committed suicide. These men's lives are best put into perspective by a question asked by Jesus Christ. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? These men, like countless others today, pursued success with all their abilities and fell desperately short. Now, I would like to just uh, make one comment here. I talked about Joseph, and he rose to the second highest seat in the country. And if we follow the Lord with all of our hearts, we don't have that kind of a promise. That was in the Old Testament, and God promised more material uh, blessings to those who followed him as well as spiritual. In the New Testament, God promises us spiritual blessings and not necessarily physical blessings. 
And so you may not become famous and wealthy and all of that. If you follow the God with all of your heart, you may be poor and you may be the underdog. But that's where we find peace and joy and contentment. The deep longings of the heart are met in Jesus. And so this morning, what will your focus be? Your goals, your pursuits. Will you, like the prodigal, set your focus, your goal on the things of this world and this life? Or on the Lord? Drawing close to him. Worshiping him. Feasting on his word. Doing your best with the help of the Lord to please our heavenly father. Well, perhaps there are some who would be like they wouldn't be like the prodigal son, but maybe they'd be like his older brother who said, in essence, I'm okay. I've never been really bad. I've always been in the fold. Or like Joseph's brothers who may have thought, we tended our father's flocks. We did some wrong things, yeah, but... We're still fairly good people. We're in the godly uh, lineage. And so, uh, you know, we're Hebrews and so we're okay. Or will we be a Joseph clinging tenaciously to God, to our Heavenly Father? In nice times and in difficult times. Trusting God to plan our lives. Laying all in his hands. Giving our whole self to him. Our desires, our goals, our ambitions, our plans, our situations. Whatever it is, our finances, our activities. Resting it in him completely. Is that our determination? Is that our commitment? We live in a rapidly we live in rapidly increasing chaos in this world. And are we firmly holding on? Are we firmly attached to God? Whether we are or not is not up to God, it's up to us. But if we are firmly attached to him, if we are clinging tenaciously to him, he will keep us. He will protect us. I didn't say from physical danger. But he will protect us spiritually. And perhaps physically too, if he wishes. What if... More violence comes to our country. We're already seeing increase. What if we see some very, very radical liberal things from the leaders of the nation in the next several years? 
What are we going to do? What if our jobs and our income come to an end, or almost so, and we hardly have enough to eat? What if society turns against the Christian even more so than what it is now, and we face persecution? Will we be Joseph's and cling tenaciously to God, hold on with all our being? We have a motto in our house in North Carolina that says, we may tremble on the rock of ages, but the rock will never tremble under us. And I like that. In the times in which we live, we may tremble at times, but if we're anchored to the rock, the rock will never tremble under us. The psalmist said, My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Is that our soul's cry this morning? Truly. Maybe it is right now. What about tomorrow? Tuesday, Wednesday? When you're about your everyday work, when you're working on the farm or on the job or whatever you're doing, is, your, is still your main focus, your, your longing, your, your, the primary thing of your life, is it that close relationship with God where we, where we converse with Him? You know, many times, not just when you have your daily devotions, but throughout the day, you're conversing with God. Your, your heart is near to Him. You're thinking of Him. Or Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Do we long for God like that? Psalmist says, like the thirsty deer, my soul pants for God. Is he our focus, our attention, where our attention is? Or is it on the things of this earth? And so again, I just want to challenge us this morning. I think this, is a, uh, this whole subject is one in which um, it's a growing process. I know it has been in my own life and probably in yours. But are we endeavoring to grow? Are we thirsting for him? Do, are we, is it our goal, our focus to, to grow more and more in, in, in our love for him? Our service for him? <clears throat> I 
so let's remember we find the deepest soul longings only in God. We will not find them in riches, in pleasure, in the things that I like and the things that I want, naturally speaking. No. They will not deliver our expectations. They will not. And so, what do we do this morning? We need to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We need to commit our all to him. Yes. Just give our whole self to him. Lord, here I am. Everything. You take it. You do with me whatever you want. Is that easy? No. It's scary. But we need to do it. That's what God asks of us. We need to drink deeply of him. Not real quickly. Uh, read a verse of scripture and say a few words of prayer and then get busy. With my job. No. We need to drink deeply of him. We need to really read his word and find there what he has for us and meditate upon it. And so this morning I ask you, and you answer God in your own heart, will you do that? Will you be a Joseph? The songwriter, the poet said, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.